0: Strange Brew Podcast Season 1 Episode 58. I'd call this an emergency podcast, but we're 20 hours removed from the biggest news of yesterday. This is like calling nine one two. This is a non-emergency emergency podcast. Giannis returned for the Bucks in Game 4 and they go through one of the all-time playoff collapses in the final minutes in Miami, and now we are in a must-win situation on Wednesday. Before that, the biggest news of the day Aaron Rodgers' trade, finally, final. The drama is done. I told you yesterday there's a 99% chance he's still a Packer by Friday. Always leave yourself a backdoor, kids. That 1% came through on Monday afternoon. As the trade is official, I feel like both sides win. We'll talk about that, too. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's Yes, the ball! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, 14, 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Wisconsin, record-breaking run! Morgan, a smash up the middle, face, and center, here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win! Here's the snap, he looks, he throws, it's and there is your... Super Bowl dagger! Booker the drive, gets inside, leans in, knocked away and stolen by Holiday! Phoenix has to foul, and a pentacle ball throws it down! Swinging fly ball in the right center, Broxton is there! And they're the champions! They have done it! It's been a 50-year journey, Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight! Our NBA champions! By the way, shout out to all of our listeners here. We had our largest single-day downloads yesterday for a podcast that was not relevant for 15 minutes. That podcast aged like potato salad sitting out at a 4th of July barbecue. I could not believe at 10 o'clock I clicked publish on that podcast. And it was irrelevant 15 minutes later. And remember, during the podcast, I looked to see if there was any Giannis news before yesterday's Game 4. And then I had to go back half an hour later to splice in once I found out that, yes, he is in fact going to play. We spliced that in yesterday. And then five hours later, after I said nothing was going to happen in the Aaron Rodgers trade realm... That trade comes to fruition. I've never had that happen. We've been doing the podcast now since September. I have friends that work in radio or that just podcast now. That's what they do. And they tell me that that's always an issue, relevancy. And when you click publish and something major happens, they've had to go back and redo podcasts. I've never had to do that. But yesterday was one of those, like, man, that aged like spoiled milk. (laughs) It was bad. It was a real bad situation for the Monday podcast. But I appreciate those that downloaded it. It was. It was our single, our best single day of downloads in terms of numbers. So I do appreciate that. And if you are listening and you have not liked or subscribed or rated, ratings help a lot. Just click on the stars. I don't care how many stars. I don't care. Just click on some kind of rating. It would do us a real solid. Share it, whatever. But I do appreciate that, even though yesterday's podcast was expired literally 20 minutes after I clicked publish. Where do you want to start? Should we start with the debacle that was game four in Miami? If you go on Buck's Twitter right now, it reminds me of the wedding singer when he plays Somebody Kill Me, Please. Oh, somebody kill me, please. It's dark. It's a dark spot right now. It's okay. It's just sports, right? (laughs) It's just sports. Don't tell any diehard Bucks fan this morning that it's just sports. Hey, there's more to life than sports. It's just sports. Don't say that to somebody. If you're a non-sports fan, I assume you're not listening to this anyway, so this advice will not be useful to you. If you are a non-diehard sports fan, don't be that person when somebody's depressed about a sports loss the next day. Don't be that person that says, oh, it's just sports. There's more to life than sports. What? What is there? I've been around. I'm almost 40 years old. What is there? No, I'm kidding. Obviously. Kind of. But don't be that person. It's just a mess. And the vibes were so good. The vibes were immaculate at about 10, 30, or 11 o'clock yesterday when it was announced that Giannis is going to play in Game 4. I already thought they were going to win Game 4 anyway. And then when the Giannis news came down, I couldn't get that bet in quick enough. That's how I learned that he was coming back. I was about to put together a parlay. And I noticed the line had shifted dramatically for the Bucks. It went from minus four to minus seven or minus seven and a half. And then I couldn't get to Twitter quick enough because I figured there must have been some kind of news for it to shift that much in the span of a day. I think the last time I looked at it was probably Sunday night. And sure enough, Giannis is coming back. There's no way they lose this game. You get home court back. You win this game. You get home court back. You blow their doors up on Friday or on Wednesday Friday, then you have a chance to win on the road. If you can't get that done, there's no way you lose a game seven at home. It could not have felt better. And then they come out, and Giannis is playing so well. And it's clear he's hurt. He clearly had things reined in a bit when it came to driving as aggressively as he typically does where he throws his body around. You could tell he was not comfortable. On yesterday's podcast, I speculated that if he was 70 or 75%, they should be all right. Where would you put him if you had to do just an eye test diagnosis? Married to a PT, I could have just asked her, I guess. But if you just went eye test and you had to put an arbitrary percentage of how healthy he is, I would have said 60, 60 ish, 65%, but enough to be out there and be effective. He did set the tone in that first quarter, and Jimmy Butler had a massive first quarter. We thought we survived the big Jimmy Butler quarter. He scored 22 of their 28, and the Bucs still had the lead at the end of one. But Giannis was intent on sending a message that he's healthy enough, and he was getting to the rim, getting rebounds, distributing the ball, helping defensively. It looked pretty good. It looked like how you expected it to look with Giannis this entire series. And they had the lead the whole night. It wasn't a big lead. They had a 15-point lead at one point, which in the NBA – As we learned last night, there was no greater example than last night. It can be gone like that if I have the Cartman and it's gone. Put that in there, too. But that that kind of a lead most of the night between, what, 7 and 10 or 7 and 11 points? It felt like they were always in command for the most part. And then they get to the final minutes. Well, the start of the fourth quarter, Grayson Allen knocks down a three. They're up 92-78. to 78. And at that point, it just felt like Jimmy was out of gas, and they didn't have the weapons around him because they've got Hero Hurt, and they have, who else was out? Victor Oladipo. It's just they're on fumes. It looked like the Heat were on fumes, and it looked like the Bucks had survived their best punch. And you're up 101-89 to 89 with six minutes to go. And then all hell broke loose. They couldn't do anything. For a four or five-minute stretch, they couldn't do anything. I saw some of Buck's Twitter comparing this to the 2014 NFC Championship game. Let's pump the brakes just a little bit, okay? Let's relax just a touch. This is a first-round matchup in the NBA playoffs. The NBA playoffs last three months. If this would have happened, if last night's game would have happened in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals, and you were up 12 with six minutes to go, and that was the way to get to the NBA Finals, then you can compare it to the 2014 NFC Championship game. I get the comparisons in the collapse part of it where so much had to go wrong for the Bucs and so much had to go right for the Heat. So much had to go wrong for the Packers in that game and so much had to go right for the Seahawks. And if one thing goes the other way, the Packers probably win and the Bucks probably win last night too. I get that part of it, but the circumstances could not be more different. The Packers were in the Super Bowl. They were 86-7, 8-9. What was their percentage chance of winning that game? 98%? They were in the Super Bowl, and then they weren't. That's a big difference between that moment in Wisconsin sports history, heartbreak, and what happened last night. Don't get me wrong. This is a massive disappointment we're living through right now. and It's not over yet. I believe, and we can talk more about this in a second, that the Bucs will win on Wednesday at home. They're 11-point favorites at home. You're going to have another chance to win in Miami on Friday. If you take care of that, I think they'll win the series. You have to win two games in a row against a depleted play-in tournament eight seed. It's definitely possible. But even if they are to lose this series, which many folks will say they are on their way to doing, this does not even come close (laughs) losing the 2014 NFC Championship game in the fashion in which the Packers lost that 2014 NFC Championship game. But at that six-minute mark, they just went away from everything that had worked. That entire second half and fourth quarter, what worked? The Giannis, point guard, Brooke Lopez pick and roll. Giannis clearly was not in the mood or the feeling to drive hard all night, but he adapted his game and he was picking apart the Heat with his passing. and he had a triple-double. 60% Giannis had a triple-double last night and they wasted it with bonehead plays late. But that was the play that was working. They couldn't defend it. They could not defend the Giannis pass inside to Brook. We also wasted a 36-point Brook Lopez game, one of the best games of his career. And for whatever reason, in that stretch, as the Heat started their run... Instead of going to that bread and butter, what did we see? Chris Middleton dribbling the ball haphazardly and turning it over. Drew Holiday turning it over. Step-back jumpers for Drew. Step-back jumpers for Middleton. Pat Connaughton missed a couple of wide-open threes. I guess I'm fine with those because they were wide open, and they were corner threes, which Connaughton typically drills. Didn't hit him last night. If he hits one of those, the game is over. If they get one basket in that stretch just to stem the tide to end the run, they do probably win that game. But – it's just an example of the uh, the folks that want to get rid of Mike Budenholzer, and we can talk more about that too. For those that want to get rid of him, it's moments like that, where for four minutes, four and a half minutes, the Heat are making their run. The crowd is going nuts. The intensity is picked up. All of the momentum is on their side, and instead of calling a timeout, they had two timeouts. Call a timeout, bud and set a play up for Brook. If you get one well-run offensive set that ends in a basket, it calms that crowd down, you're back up by six or seven, and you're probably on your way to a win or a foul game late at least if you hit your free throws. You know what I mean? Just where is the sense in that moment? Take one of those timeouts and draw up a play with Giannis and Brook that has been working the entirety of the fourth quarter to that point. I just don't get it. And then it's ill-timed everything. All of a sudden, Middleton couldn't handle the basketball. Drew couldn't handle the basketball. They were both awful last night. Middleton was, what, 4 of 14? He was basically a non-factor. Drew, playoff Drew. I can't explain playoff Drew. I don't know what happens to him in the playoffs. He had his best offensive year of the year this year because he was kind of forced to be the number two because Middleton was in and out the entire year. He shot 46% from the field and 38 or 39% from beyond the arc. He couldn't miss in the regular season, and in the playoffs, that's been the narrative for him his entire career. Even if you go back to 2021, he did make a lot of big plays, the Valley Oop being the biggest one in Game 5 in the finals in Phoenix, but he just does not shoot well. Something happens to his shooting in the playoffs. 6 of 19 last night, 2 of 11 from beyond the arc, and I think it was in Game 1 he was 6 of 18. He's shooting sub-40%. He's shooting sub-30% from distance and turning the ball over and getting torched by Jimmy Butler the Drew calling card has always been we can rely on him for defense I'm not gonna say it was all on him it was a team effort allowing Jimmy Butler to go off last night and a lot of Jimmy's shots were contested shots that he just hit and you kind of tip your cap but you can't have the missed shots and the turnovers and not bring the typical Drew defense on the other end on the other team's best wing score it was just a disaster. And then Butler put the exclamation point on an all-time, a legendary playoff performance, 56 points. Again, you at some level, you have to tip your cap. Not everything was wide open last night. A lot of that was contested. A lot of that was at the rim, and that was just Jimmy Butler. That was an all-NBA player making all-NBA plays. That was an all-NBA player willing his team to, to a win and putting 56 on the board and dragging a bunch of miscreants, a bunch of ragtags across the finish line in an NBA playoff game. At some point, you do tip your cap, but the Bucs – How are you not blitzing Jimmy Butler at this point? He has been putting it on you all series. He's in the middle of a 50-plus point eruption. Just double him. Make somebody else beat you. If Duncan Robinson hits four threes in the fourth quarter, so be it. If Caleb Martin knocks down a few more shots, he hit a couple big shots last night. If he knocks down big threes, so be it. If Highsmith hits a big three, so be it. You can't let the guy who's on his way to almost a 60-point game continue to burn you at the end of a game. I just don't understand it. That's all they have. The next highest scoring player on that team last night on the Heat team had 15 points. Jimmy is all they have. They have seven undrafted players on that team, and they're playing like the one seed. They play like the team that knows they're better that is confident in themselves, that they think they're going to win the series. The Bucs are playing like the 8th seed. The Bucs are playing tight. The Bucks have a lack of focus. The Bucs don't have rhythm. It looks like the roles have been completely reversed, and Jimmy Butler's mentality is a big reason for that. 56 points. He's the only guy. Guys, stop the only guy that can score consistently for this team. If Jimmy has 45 last night, which is an astoundingly good game, the Bucs still win. If he has 50, the Bucs still win by a point. Jimmy Butler could have scored 50 points last night, an all-time NBA playoff performance, and the Bucs still would have won. You just couldn't let him get 51, or in this case, 56. Just amazing, amazing stuff. I would never in a million years have thought Giannis would come back, post a triple-double, and the Bucs would lose that game. But one of the great collapses... And now your backs are against the wall. You're down 3-1. to Do you see an avenue here? I don't know. I do think they'll win on Wednesday. Can you get in a spot in Miami again where you can win on the road? Because you had the road win. You only need one road win, and they were six minutes away from sealing the deal and getting home court back. It is going to be exceedingly difficult to go back in there and get a win or get back in front like they were yesterday to do it all over again and this time take it to the finish line for a potential, I guess you have to say, game six on Friday. I want to play you a clip from Charles Barkley in 2021 because I think it applies. This was during the title run in 2021, and I think the information that Chuck says here still applies to this current version of the Bucks well, team. I got to say this about the Milwaukee Bucks: I think the Milwaukee Bucks are going to win the world championship. I don't know this year. I really do. But they gotta be the dumbest team. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. They make between stupid fouls and bad shots, yep. not taking advantage of mismatches. Yep. Can, I, can I go there? That-, that was I think that is so on point. Two years later, we're still kind of dealing with that. And is it the players? Is it Bud? There's plenty of time for that debate. If this series does end and they don't even get past the first round, what a colossal disappointment and failure that would be. And if you just want to dip your toe into the waters of that conversation, it's happening all over Twitter. If they lose this series, should Bud be back? No, he should not be. And a lot of what happens in the offseason, a lot of that is contingent on Giannis' feelings because you have to factor that in. I know I saw a lot of Bucks fans tweeting out, if they lose this series... Giannis is safe, and that's it going into the offseason, and I agree with that, but Giannis is such a core part. He is the core of the entire franchise, and he's still in his prime. He's only 28 years old. He's probably at the tail end of the beginning of his prime, if that makes any sense, but his opinions on Bud and the coaching staff and his opinions about Middleton and Drew, those are going to be factored in, and He's a loyal guy, so any major seismic disruptions to the roster, to the coaching staff, are going to have to go through Giannis, and if Giannis doesn't want those to happen, I don't know what you do, but if they lose this series, which they're a game away from doing, I don't see how you retain Bud. Has his message gotten stale? Was it always stale, but they overcame it in 2021 for a variety of reasons, for matchup reasons? They had P.J. Tucker, was that that big of a difference? But what we can't do is the Mike McCarthy dance that we've done with the Packers, where you hang on to McCarthy five years too long because he won a title. We can't do that. It's easy to say this team won a title 21 months ago, and that's factually true, but we cannot hold on to Budenholzer for another two or three or four years because he won a title in 2021. If they are upset by a playing tournament team, In 2023, you could kind of write off last year with the Middleton injury. I suppose you could write this year off a bit with the Giannis injury because he's only played one full game and five minutes of another game. If he's 100% healthy for the entirety of the series, I don't know. There's no doubt in my mind they win the series, but there has been doubt placed now with how poorly they have played. If Giannis is... Doesn't take that fall in Game 1, and he's playing full-on 40 minutes a night. I don't think there's any way they lose this series. It may go longer, I guess I can admit at this point. We maybe underestimated the Heat a little bit. This is the reason I wanted the Heat to go to Boston. We talked about this before the play-in tournament. I wanted the Heat to go to Boston And due to Boston what they're doing right now to Milwaukee, give them a series, play physical, knock them around a bit. When the Hawks beat Miami in that play-in game, I thought, oh boy, now we're going to have to deal with Miami. They're not going to lose two home games in a row in a play-in tournament setting, and they didn't. This is precisely why. But even with that, if you lose this series after having the best record in the NBA coming off of a title two years ago, I don't know who you bring in. Nick Nurse is a popular suggestion. The the solution to all of the Bucks ills right now on Bucks Twitter are to fire Bud, bring in Nick Nurse, who won the title with Toronto in twenty nineteen, beating the Bucks in route to that title, and then to make a trade for Dame Lillard, to either trade Middleton and a package of players or Drew and a package of players for Damian Lillard. Even though Lillard has on record as never wanting to leave Portland, maybe if that circumstance comes up and it's real. He would think twice about it where he could play the next four or five years of his career with prime Giannis. Maybe that would be enough to lure him away. But the other part of that trade situation scenario, that part's got to want to dance too. Two people have to come together for that trade dance. And yeah, there will be a lot of questions if they lose this series. And even if they somehow come back and win this series and lose in the next round or lose before the Eastern Conference Finals then you're going to have that talk at the end of the year. Do they need to make a coaching change? What do you do with Middleton? Is Middleton going to pick up his player option, or is he going to be a free agent? I would have bet my mortgage before the year began that Middleton was not going to pick up his player option for next year, and he was going to try to get one more big payday this offseason. But with the way that he has played and with the injury questions, I'm not sure what team out there, what franchise, is going to give him a three- or four-year, $100 million deal for the last big deal of his career. He may take that $40 million option now and say, hey, $40 million is a lot of money to play basketball for one year, and if I can prove it and come back healthy and play basically a full schedule, then maybe I can still cash in one more time. There's a lot of questions that will be surrounding this team if this goes the direction it appears it's going to go. But what a just huge mess of a game. Well, not even a mess of a game, a mess of a five minutes last night. Disaster back at it on Wednesday hey we have an 8 30 tip time on Wednesday too a game with the way they're playing right now I don't even want to watch I'm going to watch it obviously but it's a game that you barely want to watch and then it's on at 8 30 on NBA TV isn't that fun all right let's talk about the Packers I'm sweating in here let's talk about the Packers how long has this podcast been going on I feel like I just talked for 45 minutes in a row a new record a new high score Let's talk about the other big news yesterday, which I was going to do a non-emergency emergency podcast for anyway. I thought, stupidly, that we would have a whole 20-minute talk about Aaron Rodgers and the trade and the Packers and it finally being over. And then at the end, we could talk about how happy we were that Giannis is back and the Bucs have a serious tied. But it turned out to be the reverse of that. But at about 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon, just like I said on yesterday's podcast, there was a 1% chance that Rodgers would get traded before the draft, and it just turns out I was right. I was absolutely correct about that. 99% chance nothing would happen. 1% chance something would happen, and it did. There were some rumors, I guess, from Schefter, was it Sunday night, that I didn't even see that said that the conversations had been restarted after not really talking for a week or two with the Jets and Packers. Conversations had been restarted. And they finally got the deal done, and we are on to the next chapter of Packer quarterback franchise history. We're finally turning the page. Aaron Rodgers goes to New York. The Packers, I think, end up pretty well in this deal, and the Jets do, too. I know everybody, when there's a major trade like this, everybody wants to jump in and say, who won the trade? You got Stephen A. Smith screaming at Max Kellerman, whoever he's on that show now with, and Sharp and and Skip Bayless, everybody's got to have a take on Who won the trade? Who won this trade? Did they win the trade? Did the Packers win the trade? Did the Jets win the trade? I think they both win. I know that's a lukewarm take. That's a lukewarm soup take for you. But I think they do both win. The Packers, they swap the first round picks, which we talked about on this podcast a month ago. That made a lot of sense to me. Packers move up two spots. The Jets can stay in the first round, so they can say they didn't give up their first round pick this year really You swap those picks. Packers move up to 13, and the Jets now pick at 15. Packers get one of the two second-round picks the Jets have this year. There's the fifth and sixth-round pick swap. Packers get a sixth, and the Jets get a fifth this year. And then the big part to me is next year, a conditional second-round pick. But if Rodgers plays 65% of the snaps, which feels without any major injury, very likely, that would become a first-round pick. What would you say, 90% chance that becomes a first-round pick or 95% chance that becomes a first-round pick? That's a pretty big deal. So the Packers end up picking up an extra second. They move up two spots. They get a second and probably a first next year, and they move back around late this year. I guarantee you, by the way, that that was the holdup. I guarantee you that fifth, sixth-round pick swap, that was what was holding this whole train up because Woody Johnson, the Jets owner, freaked out when Rodgers went on McAfee and lied about being 90% retired. They had to feel like they wanted a little something back from the Packers in terms of draft capital. I, without knowing anything about it, I guarantee you that was the holdup, that fifth and sixth round swap on day three of the draft this year. But they both end up pretty well. If you're a Packer fan, you say, we moved up. We got a big pick this year. We got a big pick next year. If you're the Jets, you say, we got a little something back. We move up one round late in the draft this year. We didn't give up too much. We only gave up two spots in draft in the draft order this year. We do give up something next year, but we get a Hall of Fame quarterback. We get a four-time MVP Hall of Fame quarterback, and if you can get back to that Hall of Fame level of play, we've got a real chance to win the division, get to the playoffs, and then whatever happens, happens. Maybe make a run in the playoffs. He's instantly, right? Am I missing somebody? The best quarterback they've ever had, even at 39 or 40 years old. Is he going to be 40 this year is he going to be 39 this year? I think he's going to be 40 in December this year. He instantly becomes the best quarterback they've ever had in a franchise that's had a lot of years under its belt. And Joe Namath, of course, won the Super Bowl, and they'll push back on that. But when you compare the two, yes, they won the Super Bowl, and yes, for his era, Namath had some decent numbers. But Rodgers is without question the best quarterback that they've ever had in their franchise history. Each fan base here can present a decent case that they came out well. But I think it tip your cap to Goody. The longer this thing went on, it felt like we were only going to get a second rounder or a conditional second next year or a conditional third. So to walk away with multiple picks that you can use to build things up around Jordan Love and give him more weapons or give him better offensive line protection, you both make out well. Both of these sides made out well. And now you can just move on. And whatever happens with Rodgers, the nice thing about this trade, I think, is that nothing is contingent on Rodgers playing beyond this upcoming year. Nothing is performance-based, essentially. Now, you could argue you want the Jets to lose, so that pick next year, whether it's a second or a first-rounder, is higher. You could say that. But not a lot is performance-based. And if Rodgers does up and retire and goes off into the darkness for good after this year, it doesn't impact anything coming back to Green Bay this year. Both sides ended up pretty well in this whole deal and now the Rogers era is over can I queue up some where's my I've got a Sarah McLachlan I will remember we will you. remember you forever Super Bowl championship will you all of the title belt celebrations run the table Cobb is the open at Soldier Field ayahuasca tea you, I've been immunized So much that we could look back on. Should we put together a highlight reel package without playing behind it the entire time? I might do that. If I have some extra time this week, we may put that together. I don't know if we need to get into legacy talk in the immediacy of this. We've kind of touched on it a few times. He's one of the best to ever do it. And Mark Murphy said that, and Goody said that. Goody had his draft press conference set for yesterday anyway. You just know Goody said, let's knock this all out. Let's get this trade done so at this press conference, so I don't have to do two press conferences. If I get this trade done before the Monday draft press conference, I can avoid a second meeting. I'm here for that. Here, here, Goody. Here, here. You got the trade done, you got decent compensation, and you avoided two interactions with the media. That's a win all the way around, I would think. But when you look back at the whole deal, he's one of the best to ever play the game. In my opinion, and it's just my opinion, it's like a cow's opinion, it's moot. He is one of the best tacticians I've ever seen on the field. No doubt Tom Brady's the GOAT. He's got all the rings, all of the major moments, late in games when a play had to be made. He is the greatest of all time. But I wouldn't say that Tom Brady aesthetically did things in a way that Rodgers or Peyton Manning. I would compare Rodgers to Manning in that tactician sense as I've never seen a quarterback other than those two that was so impressive with the way they read a defense or identified a blitzer, found a weakness or a hot route. What is hot route? Found a hot route or exploited an extra defender trying to run off the field at the last second. I don't know that I've ever seen a better tactician. Brett Favre was a Hall of Fame quarterback. Is a Hall of Fame quarterback, obviously, and we enjoyed his career too, but they were two very different quarterbacks. Favre was more of a gambler. He tried to fit a ball into a dime-sized hole in triple coverage. Rodgers had a more discretion as the better part of valor for a lot of his career, even though he had similar arm strength and pinpoint accuracy, but he was a surgeon. I don't know other than Manning and Rodgers. I've never seen a tactician or a surgeon operate as an NFL quarterback the way that he did. Certainly, when you look back on the entirety of the Rodgers era, playoff heartbreak is a big part of it, and it seems unfathomable that they never got back to one. If you would have told me the Monday after the Super Bowl 45 championship, with Rodgers at 28 years old or 27 just entering the beginning of his NFL prime, and Clay Matthews in his prime, and Woodson, and Nick Collins which really sort of was the beginning of things unraveling a bit, that injury to Collins the next year that cost him his career. With all those guys and Jennings and Jermichael Finley and who were the other wide receivers? Jordy Nelson and James Jones. They were all young. They were all in their early 20s. And Jordy wasn't even Jordy yet. Jordy that Super Bowl year, even though he had a good Super Bowl game, He was not the Jordy game-breaker that we saw in later years, in the next year, in 2011 and 2012 and 2013, where he was a a 1,500-yard-a-year guy catching 10 to 12, 13, 14 touchdowns a year. He wasn't even that guy yet. If you would have told me with all of those weapons that they would never be back, not just to not win one, to never be back, I would have said you're crazy. And you look back at that playoff heartbreak, and it is. It'll always be a part of the Favre narrative, too, that how did he never win another one? And how did Rodgers never win another one and never go to another one with all the talent they had? And you look back at all that, and it's not all Rodgers' fault. It's When you look at that part of his career, to me, from 2011 to 2017, 2016 was the run-the-table year, right? If you look back at all that playoff heartbreak then from 2011 to 2016, in that part of his career, I would say the biggest deficiency was Defense and special teams, those two parts of the game, those two phases did not help him out at all, and the offense was scoring a lot of points. I'm not saying Rodgers was perfect in those playoff games, and he certainly missed throws and probably threw picks, but if you had to identify the reason in that run from 2011, the 15-1 season, through his injury in 2017, and then ultimately the last McCarthy year in 2018... You would say the issue of not returning to a Super Bowl primarily was a sieve defense and a bonehead special teams play or two in big moments. Obviously, Bostic sticks out, but in big moments in big games. Now, when you look at the LaFleur era, I would say 2019 was still defensive issues where they couldn't stop Raheem Mostert or anybody in that NFC championship game. But more recently, the matchup with Brady in the NFC championship game at Lambeau, Rodgers had the ball numerous times late in that game to make a drive to get ahead. The defense picked Brady off three times in that game, and they made their mistakes in the first half. But Rodgers and that loaded offense had plenty of chances to win that game in the second half and couldn't do it. You look at that playoff matchup the next year with the Niners, probably the best defense or defensive performance that we've seen from a Packer team in many, many years. Offense couldn't score the points. You look back at the Lions game last year where they win and they're in the playoffs. That was offensive shortcomings. That's all going to be a part of the Rodgers narrative. But I always say, and I said this on a Facebook status yesterday, when you look back at just the Rodgers on the field stuff, take all the ayahuasca tea and I've been immunized and the dating witches and all of that, the McAfee interviews and all that stuff, because I know people were so tired of all the the off-the-field drama and the weird stuff you would say. I get it. But just looking at the the on-the-field stuff, in the Rodgers era, as a Packer fan, as Packer fans, We had so much more fun than not during the Rodgers era. Every game that Aaron Rodgers put on a Packer jersey, put on that number 12, and he was relatively healthy, I thought we were going to win every game. And we didn't. You're never going to win every game. But that's what he gave you. Every Sunday or Monday or Thursday, every time he was out there, you thought, we can win this game. We should win this game, even if you didn't. And 70% of the time, regular season, 65% of the time, They did win those games. I think of all of the playoff get-togethers, even with the heartbreak, and all the Sundays with family and friends and high-fiving and all the touchdowns and all that kind of stuff. He brought us on the field so much joy most of the time, almost all of the time. It's hard not to be a little nostalgic and a little bummed out that it's over. It is also poetic, and we've talked about this, that he ends up in New York just like Favre. The whole narrative ends up coming back the exact same way. Crazy how that worked out. But I'm thankful for it, and the heartbreak is all a part of it. When your team is good, the team you root for is good, and they make the playoffs, you're going to have a lot of tough playoff moments where they come up short, and you're sitting there like I was after the Bucks game last night, scrolling through Twitter or staring off into space and wondering how did that happen. That comes with having a good team. But in his era, we had way more fun, way more fun, exponentially more fun than we had misery, even as miserable as some of those playoff losses were. And we'll see how he does in New York. Last year I still stand by at the end of the year we did a podcast where I was thinking he was going to be back in Green Bay but I my thought is that a lot of his issues last year were thumb injury related we're going to find out we'll find out if he's rejuvenated with Nathaniel Hackett in New York with some of the young wide receivers there they've got an elite defense he's probably never had a defense <laughs> maybe that I mean maybe the 2021 defense in the playoffs and late in the year but he's never really had a defense that has that much young talent that's not going to give up a ton to the opposing team's offense. It'll be interesting to see how it works. I'm interested to see if they're the favorites in that division. But the Rodgers era comes to an end. Bring on Jordan Love. The little bit we've seen of him, especially last year in that Philly game, there are some encouraging signs. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Don't forget Rodgers in his first year, and we'll talk more about this when we get closer to the season, but Rogers' first year when he took over for Favre, even with the glimpses we saw the previous year in Dallas, they went, what, 6-10? and 10? And he was pretty good, but they had a six and 10 year. Vegas has the over under right now with Love as the quarterback at seven and a half wins. I think that's about right. I mean, I, everything goes right. Maybe you win nine games. The NFC North, the Lions are the favorite, right? It's just maybe it's just the cognitive disconnect of the Lions being the favorite after 25 years of them being the laughingstock of the division with a few years in there with Matthew Stafford where they made the playoffs as a wild card or threatened to win the division. It's hard to conceive a world where the Lions are the favorite in the division, and because of that, I feel like the Packers always have a chance. If everything falls right, man, maybe they win nine games. Maybe they win ten games. But seven and a half feels about right, and we'll learn more about what kind of weapons he's going to have coming out of the draft this week. The draft becomes a lot more interesting now. You know where you have the extra picks. You know you pick a little bit earlier on Thursday. That'll be nice. Hopefully they keep that pick, and we'll see what they do. It would be interesting to see them pick a wide receiver (laughs) at 13 overall. They might. After all those years of never giving Rodgers a first-round wide receiver weapon, we'll find out how vengeful or how spiteful Goody is (laughs) at 13 on Thursday if he takes a wide out. But we're finally done with all the drama, and we're on to the love era in Green Bay. That'll do it for your non-emergency emergency podcast. We'll chat with you Friday. Have a good work week.